Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. So I don't know if you all know, but I think some of you all are starting to get the sense that I don't look at money as just money. I don't look at it as something that I just want to accumulate and then be able to purchase all of these things that I've always wanted or delayed gratification in my life for, right? I want to use money as a tool. That's what I've learned to change my mindset around. So for me, I want money to be able to help get me experiences. I want money to help me get freedom. I want money basically for control. That's what I really want money to be able to do for me. And when I hear something new that's coming on, such as Bitcoin, I'm interested in it, but I already have a plan, okay? I already have a plan where I invest the majority of my money in index funds. We're also starting to invest our money in real estate, but Bitcoin has kind of caught my interest. And before I jump into that, I want to make sure that I am fully educated and I know the risks, I know the rewards, and I think you all should do the same also. So I brought back Dr. Hans Boateng, who was on episode 216, which was hugely popular, one of the highest downloaded episodes of this year. And he has an amazing way of teaching financial items and making it very easy for us all to digest and absorb. So listen, he's back here. We're going to talk about the basics of Bitcoin from the history of Bitcoin to who created it to why it rises and then all of a sudden it falls and then why it rises again. This is going to be a great episode for you to learn all about this. But listen, before we jump into this, I just want to say that this episode, just in general, Docs Outside the Box, is for entertainment purposes only. If you're going to take any type of advice or take any type of action on this, please make sure you talk to your professional financial advisor before you take any action on this show. I don't want y'all coming at me in these streets, all right? You're going to get this work from me. I ain't trying to hear all that, all right? <laughs> Without further ado, I present Dr. Hans Boateng. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin. Let's get it. Dr. Hans, all the way fresh back from Ghana. How you doing, man? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box again. Yeah, Doc, uh, thank you for having me. Super excited to have this discussion. I think there's a lot that people need to know, specifically around the topic of crypto. Oh, yeah. So right around the time when GameStop, that whole fiasco of GameStop started going around, I started getting emails about that, as well as emails about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and I wanted to hold off on the topic until I talked to you mm. again, because the last episode that you did where you talked about the different layers of investing, whether it be for your 401k, for your SEP IRA or your traditional IRA really resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people downloaded that episode. They really appreciated the simplicity in which you explain things and people really like that. So I'm glad that you found time to come back and kind of kick it with us and explain to us what's this whole thing with Bitcoin. Let's get right to it. Let's jump right into it. I hear Bitcoin, then I hear a Dogecoin or Dogecoin, <laughs> then I hear cryptocurrency and Ethereum, all that stuff. Break it down to us. What is cryptocurrency in very basic details? Yeah, I think individuals shouldn't write off new technologies or new assets, right? I'll never forget when I was in Ghana, when the internet was becoming popular, a lot of small businesses started to open like internet cafes, oh, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, my dad even owned an internet cafe. And then 
as time went on, there was this rumor that was circulating that, oh, this internet thing is a fad and it's about to die down. So then for individuals who are going into kind of IT professions, they were being told, be careful, you're not going to have a job in the future, right? Fast forward to today, you and I both know the richest individuals in the U.S. are the coders, the software engineers, anyone in that kind of space. So the new evolving space is crypto space, or we could say crypto and blockchain. Now, I'm not going to dive deep into the whole blockchain because that's that's huge. Let's stick with cryptocurrency, the core thing that we have access to. The way to explain it is this. Networks essentially are the most valuable thing that we have in our generation or in our lifetime, right? We can think about social network and we know how that, specifically with MySpace and then Facebook, right? And over time, this social network became incredibly popular and and also incredibly valuable. We can look at a US, so a United States kind of payments network. We can think about PayPal. We can think about Venmo, right? We can think about Cash App specifically for allowing U.S. residents to transfer money to and from each other. We can think about video networks, right? Whether that is Netflix or YouTube. Now, what Bitcoin is a global monetary network. So what do I mean by this? Before its creation, so before Bitcoin was created, the only way that two individuals across the globe will be able to transact with each other is either via the banking system, which is extremely slow, or you might have to get on a plane to travel to where that individual is to be able to trade with each other. And if we take a step back, throughout humanity, it is the exchange of goods and services that allows us, even as a country, right, to be able to thrive or as individuals to be able to thrive. I have something of value and someone else wants it. Or I create something of value and I'm able to exchange it with someone else. Well, how am I able to do that? The only way you can do that is with money, right? So then at the base of how, let's say, an economy is built, we need a way to be able to trade with each other. Well, back in the day, they kind of settled on gold as the asset that's used to trade. And typically money has, let's say, five properties, okay? It has to be durable, meaning if you have the money or that thing, it doesn't just disintegrate. Exactly. So it has to be durable. It has to be divisible, meaning you can spend it in small pieces, okay? It has to be recognizable, meaning it has to be authentic. You cannot just go make it up. Does that make sense? It also has to be portable, be able to move it from one place to the other. And most important, this is the most important attribute of money. It has to be scarce. If you have a lot of something, it doesn't hold or retain its value. So for the longest time, gold has been that kind of global asset that's been used as a form of money. If you go back to kind of the early 
1900s, before we were taking off of the gold standard, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold. So the U.S. had to have gold in the bank, right, to be able to then create or print dollars. In 1971, President Nixon took us off of the gold standard, and now they can just create money without kind of any backing. Okay, so then what ended up happening is this individual saw that in 2008, 2009, the U.S. government was on track to begin printing tons of money. And this individual by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto went on to this blog, literally, and shared that, hey, I've created this new peer-to-peer cash system that allows two individuals to trade with each other without any central authority. And that's how Bitcoin was built and created. So isn't that scary, though, the fact that someone could just create that? And I don't know, like it took, what, hundreds of years to get the dollar back or the greenback or whatever. It used to be the greenback and then it became the dollar. The fact that someone could just create something that quick, that is a currency, not a digital exchange like PayPal or something like that. Mm. Isn't that scary or no? Well, realistically, it is not necessarily a currency. I mean, I know that we call it digital currency, mm-hmm. but it's more of an asset. So let's think about it as a digital asset, okay. specifically for Bitcoin, right? So it's meant to store or hold value and also to exchange that value across time and space. So what do I mean by that? To the earlier points that I made, let's say someone in Australia wanted to purchase something from me here in the US. How do we transact with each other? Thankfully, because of Bitcoin, I mean, that individual and I can transact in a matter of minutes. That would be quite tough, assuming we didn't have, let's say, Visa and MasterCard. But you and I know that Visa and MasterCard is not effective for transactions from, let's say, trading between someone in Africa and someone here in the US, right? But all of a sudden, all of that goes away when we're looking at Bitcoin, right? All of a sudden, someone in Africa can start a business and let's say they accept Bitcoin. Anyone on the globe, anyone in any country can purchase from that individual. So it allows for capital to flow freely throughout the entire world. It's an incredible technology that a lot of people are not really taking a close look at. And to your point in saying, well, why is it that this individual just built this thing really quickly? First and foremost, we don't know how long it's been in beta, right? Because we don't know who built it and we don't know how long it took the person to build it. What we do know is that humanity has been trying to come up with some kind of uh, money, some digital money, from the early 1980s. So it took up until 2008 that this individual by the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto introduced the idea. And the beauty of Bitcoin is it's not fixed in stone. There are several developers that are essentially making it better and better over time. What do you mean by that better over time? What does that mean? Well, so initially when Bitcoin was created, the main core thing was, hey, this thing cannot be hacked, right? Right. At the early stage, a few mishaps occurred. And when I say early stage, I'm saying a couple of months in, 
individuals trying to figure out, hey, how do I corner this thing? How do I get more of it? So then the creator was looking at all of those things happening, and then he'll go back in and then restructure the code to make sure that you cannot break into the network, if you will. And what he ended up doing is making it an open network where other developers can now come in and be monitoring the code. And it's not just one person. Tons of developers can be monitoring the code, improving it, and also allowing it to adapt to changing times. So one of the critiques that you hear about Bitcoin is, well, what if we have a super computer that can crack algorithms? Okay. By the time we get to that point, the developers will be able to reprogram Bitcoin to withstand that kind of hack, right? Because So the people who develop, the people who have the ability to make the code better, mm-hmm. aren't they ultimately like the gatekeepers? Aren't they the ones who ultimately control Bitcoin or how this, this currency works? Yeah, no one necessarily controls Bitcoin because it's decentralized. And the reason for this is we have a Bitcoin, well, 6.25 Bitcoins. That's the current rate right now. So, well, let me take a step back to kind of explain how Bitcoin is created. It goes through this process called mining. Okay. So then the creator was like, how do I incentivize humans to one, want this digital currency? And also how do we keep it safe? So then there's this process called mining. What happens is individuals can use computing power, right? So they can set up computers and using electricity, which is one of the complaints about Bitcoin, they can try and mine, meaning that there's a problem or a code that they have to solve. And in solving that problem or code, what they are doing is that they are effectively, what's the word that I'm looking for? They are confirming transactions. Okay. So then think about it this way. Anyone can go get that computing power to want to solve that problem. And they are verifying transactions and confirming transactions by doing this. So then what happens is that if one computer verifies a transaction and says that Dr. Nee sent Dr. Hans $500, all the other mining computers on the Bitcoin network also have to confirm that transaction. So let's think about it this way. If there are a million miners, or even, let's make it simple, if there are 500 miners who are verifying transactions, if one of those miners tries to rig the transactions by saying, oh, no, 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 Dr. Nee didn't send 500, he sent 600, all the remaining 499 computers will reject that miner. Okay. Does that make sense? So then there is no incentive for someone to try and come and hack the Bitcoin network because pretty much you'll be putting up your computer systems, you'll be spending a lot of electricity. And why would you be doing that to try and come and hack a system that every single miner is trying to verify? And when they verify, the transactions accurately, there's a reward that one of them gets. So in 2009, on average, a miner could get 50 Bitcoins 
every 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. Are you serious? Yes. Back in 2009, when it was brand new, not a lot of people were adopting it. A miner could get 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. So imagine less people are mining. You're essentially getting your coins. Four years from every four years, that number reduces in half. Okay. Why? Satoshi Nakamoto knew that the only way to make something valuable is by reducing its supply. Oh, so making it scarce, like you said. 100%. So then every four years, that the new Bitcoins that are being added to circulation reduces by half. So 2013, it was reduced to 25 coins every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, 2017, it was reduced to half of that, 12.5 or so coins every 10 minutes. And now in 2021, we had the last halving event in, not the last, but the most recent halving event happened a year ago. And it reduced the quantity of coins being mined from 12.5 to 6.25. You say decentralized, right? Mm -hmm. What does that mean, decentralized? Does that mean that it's not physical? Explain that first. Decentralized means that it's not managed by one person. So for example, Facebook is a centralized social network. It's owned and managed by Facebook, right? Every decision that's made or the protection of the Facebook network is being done by the company, Facebook. It's centralized, okay? The US dollar is a centralized currency, It is owned and managed by the U.S. government, right? The Federal Reserve, okay? So it's centralized. Bitcoin is decentralized. What it means is there isn't one person who controls Bitcoin. So for example, the creator actually after, I believe it's roughly about six months or a year after creating Bitcoin, he just disappeared. (laughs) We mean disappeared. So, oh, so the name is a pseudonym, like you said. Exactly. Nobody knows who he is. No one knows who he is. He just disappeared, which even gives more value to Bitcoin. This individual pretty much went out of the spotlight around 2009, 2010. And for the past 11 years, Bitcoin has continued to grow without him. So decentralized means there's no central authority. That's the power of this new global digital network. So I remember in the mid, like I say, from 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, I remember when like Silk Road was really big, that Mm. online place where you can buy drug paraphernalia and other illegal things. I remember people were paying it with Bitcoin because Mm. they said that Bitcoin was untraceable. Mm. What does that mean, untraceable? I don't understand that either. Yeah, so... They are wrong and they are slightly right, but they are more wrong than right. So what they mean by Bitcoin is untraceable. What it means is that if the on-ramp for you to get your Bitcoin is not through an exchange, for example, like a Coinbase or a Robinhood, right? Or a Cash App. If you don't have to register for an account to get your Bitcoins, then you are kind of hidden because your name is not associated with it. 
your address isn't associated with it. No one knows who you are. And you're just using that coin to transact. Okay. So let's say, for example, back in the day, I want a Bitcoin and someone could just send it to me on, let's say, my phone. And maybe I was using a QR code or something. And I was using that QR code to purchase the illegal drugs online. Then it's kind of hard to identify that it's this person who is doing that. Whereas now you have more of your exchanges that have your name, your address, and your information. So it's less likely. (laughs) So it's not really as secretive as most people think. And also, the blockchain, which is Bitcoin, tracks every transaction. So an individual might be purchasing something online thinking, oh, no one is going to know who I am, but truly the FBI can investigate and know who you are. They are going to have the digital address that you are sending the funds from, and that can be traced to a wallet. So in a way, they can identify who you are. It's just that your name wouldn't be online to say, oh, this person purchased this. It's just going to be your digital wallet. So they can trace that wallet, believe it or not. So help me understand this. And how is it that, because I remember several weeks ago when Bitcoin was rising up in value, Mm. there was all of these, not all of them, but I remember there was this one specific article that talked about a gentleman who could not find the password Mm. to his wallet. And that wallet was worth hundreds of millions of dollars in Bitcoin. Yes. It is traceable now. Mm. There's a blockchain and all. Explain all that. I think a lot of people are confused about that. How is it that if you don't have your password, you are not going to be able to get this money? How is that possible? Explain that to us. Yeah, it's possible because it's encrypted, right? So then if you have your wallet, it's like money. And the creators of the wallet and even the creators of Bitcoin, they didn't want it to be such that someone can just... And truthfully, you have the option. You can put your Bitcoin on a flash drive or on your phone and choose not to have a password associated with it. You can if you want. So wait, so Bitcoin can be like a file. You download a Bitcoin. 100%. It's just code. Bitcoin is literally just code, computer code. That's why it is a global monetary network. And it is layering on top of the internet. And all it's doing is transferring value from one person to another or from one country to another or from one company to another. That's all that it's doing. So let's say someone has the Bitcoin on a phone. You have the choice of, am I going to have a passcode associated with it? And also, how long do you want the passcode to be? So I believe there is either a 12-character code or a 24-character code that a person can choose. (laughs) Wow. So this individual, let's assume they selected a 24-character code. Maybe they can remember the first 22 letters or numbers, but they might not remember the last two. And they have a certain number of tries before it's just done. (laughs) You know, it locks you out. Similar to if you were logging into your bank account or your iPhone. After a number of tries, it tells you, hey, you have two more tries. Don't get it wrong. Yeah, but then Dr. Hans, I mean, if I get two more tries, all I got to do is call the number, the 800 number. We go through a verification process and then they Mm -hmm. reset my password. Yep. This doesn't exist in Bitcoin, right? No, because it's decentralized. There's no customer service number. There's no customer service. There's no central authority. It is 
peer-to-peer cash transfer system. So what happens to the money then? It's gone. When I say it's gone, all it's doing is it's making the Bitcoin network more valuable because there's now $300 million worth of Bitcoin, which is not accessible. So there's less of a supply in the market. Okay. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. So that money doesn't just redistribute and then you can go mine it or anything like that. It's just gone. It's unaccessible. That's it. That's it. Damn. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. So it's just sitting in digital nomad land. Yeah. Digital space. And that's it. That's but it's it. worth something, but nobody has access to it. It's worth 300 million now. In the future, it might be worth 3 billion and no one has access to it. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy stuff. All right. So let's take a step back. Let's sure. take a step back. Because the last time we talked, we talked about different types of asset classes. We talked mm-hmm. about stocks. We talked about bonds. We talked about how you should incorporate these into whatever company you're working for, the 401k. Mm-hmm how you should incorporate ETFs and stocks and bonds Mm. in your traditional IRAs and so forth. Where does this fit? Mm. I guess the way how I look at it is, do you consider this artwork? Should you look at this as money? Mm. Is this ownership of something? Explain that part, because I think a lot of people are interested in that. Yeah, Bitcoin is digital gold, but I like to say it's gold 2.0, right? Okay, I get what you're saying, okay. Essentially, it's an asset that is scarce, And they are not making more of it. You know, I went to Google and I searched how many acres of land are available in the U.S. And this search query came back and said there are about 2.4 billion acres of land. Okay, so for everyone listening, let's contrast that with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, from its creation in 2009 till when the last Bitcoin is ever mined, there will only always be 21 million Bitcoins ever really in circulation. Ever. Ever. So there's a fixed supply. You will never have more than 21 million Bitcoins ever. So think about this. We have what 2.4 billion acres of land in the US alone, but there's only 21 million Bitcoin. Just by comparison, which would be more valuable and with the understanding that this asset is available globally to anyone on earth (laughs) who has access to the internet. So then it's incredibly eye-opening. So I view Bitcoin as digital gold, but in actuality, I view it as gold 2.0. So what does that mean for the average person who's listening to this? As we speak, Bitcoin is worth about $1 trillion, okay? So if you look at... I'm using my Robinhood app right now. I'm looking at... Yeah, if you look at the price point of Bitcoin, it's roughly around fifty-three dollars or $54,000 as of this recording. 53540 up, $540.6, $542. <laughs> yep. It changes all every second. It does. If you use Yahoo Finance app, and you're looking for what's called the market cap of Bitcoin, it will tell you that Bitcoin is worth $1 trillion. Okay, so I describe Bitcoin as digital gold. So then the question is, what is the total value of gold in circulation? And it's roughly about $10 trillion. Oh, wow. So this is chasing it. It's coming. Thank you. You're seeing the light. (laughs) 
in only 15, wait, in 2008, you said it was created? 2008, it was created. So in only 16 years, it's already, wow, okay. Yeah, not even 16, in about, it's more like 13 years. So it's almost getting there. Okay. In about 13 years, we've gone from Bitcoin being worth, okay, less than a dollar. So a few cents, right? To where we are today, roughly about $54,000. So when someone buys Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. you know, when people say, I'm going to buy Bitcoin, I'm going to buy Bitcoin. What is the thought process of buying Bitcoin? Is the rush to buy Bitcoin because we're all going to be just using Bitcoin to purchase things? Or is it just like what you said before, where we're just trying to stack gold and explain that whole process? Because I think that's another thing that people want to understand. Like, why do I need to buy Bitcoin? And it's too expensive. Why do I even worry about it? I missed out. That is such a phenomenal question. So when an individual is looking at one Bitcoin, it looks expensive. But Bitcoin is broken down into, I believe, like a million units. And each unit is called a Satoshi, right? So you remember the pseudonym of the person, (laughs) Satoshi Nakamoto? So you can have fractions of a Bitcoin. So for example, for someone... A Satoshi is like a penny. Okay. Exactly. So for someone listening, you can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin, right? You can buy $10 worth of Bitcoin. So then you don't need to have $55 or $54,000 to be able to invest in this asset. So why would a person want exposure to this asset? One, it's a different type of asset. So in a way, you're being more diversified, okay? Because if you think about it, every asset that's the person listening to this episode has is linked to the US dollar, okay? Bitcoin is not linked to any currency. (laughs) It's not linked to any fiat currency. All it is is a digitally scarce asset that lives on the internet or in cyberspace. And individuals who want to diversify their portfolio individuals who believe in technology, individuals who support a global world where anyone can transact with each other, okay? That individual should be a believer and a supporter of Bitcoin. Let me share with you one example that I recently heard. I heard that when you go to Africa, companies like PayPal and Visa and MasterCard, they're even very hesitant to provide in quotes, credit infrastructure for countries in Africa because the risk is too high, right? The risk of default or the risk of fraud. All of these reasons, they don't necessarily want to build those infrastructures or they haven't built those infrastructures there. All of a sudden, Bitcoin wipes away all of that. Yeah, I saw Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey, they teamed up to buy Bitcoin for certain African nations, correct? Absolutely. Because with Bitcoin, you cannot fake that you have Bitcoin in a wallet, (laughs) right? Gold, someone can go bring, you know, a piece of metal and say it's gold and it has to be tested. But guess what? Every 10 minutes, the miners, remember, the individuals who are protecting the Bitcoin network and they are getting a number of Bitcoins for doing that. All they are doing is verifying transactions every 10 minutes, making the network more secure. So if someone in Africa wants to buy, let's say, a billion dollars worth of a company in America, 
if that transaction is done via Bitcoin, no one on either side is scared of being defrauded. It's impossible to do that using the Bitcoin network. Okay, so here's another thing that's confusing people. What's the deal with Bitcoin? Then there's Ethereum. Then there's Dogecoin. Mm. Then there's so many different types of Bitcoin out there. How do you know which one you're buying is the right one? Mm. So the simple answer for that is pay attention to, first and foremost, look at the entire space. Okay, the way you can do that is by going to this website, CoinMarketCap. Okay, so CoinMarketCap. I'm looking it up right now. Yes, please do. What it does is it arranges all of the crypto assets based on how valuable they are. Okay, so the most valuable coin is at the top, and obviously it's Bitcoin. (laughs) You know, Bitcoin holds close to 50% of the total value of the crypto space. Okay, the second is Ethereum. For individuals who are curious, so what is Ethereum? Think of Ethereum as the iOS app or the iOS operating system on an Apple iPhone. What I mean by this is Ethereum is the layer upon which apps are built. So decentralized apps are built on Ethereum. You remember how we talked about how the world is centralized and we talked about the benefits of being decentralized. Well, through Ethereum, coders or software engineers can come in and build anything. They can build a decentralized social media company, right? You hear about NFTs, right? Selling art Mm -hmm. and music. They can build that on top of Ethereum. They can build insurance products. They can build an entirely new stock market (laughs) on Ethereum. So it's the operating system upon which different decentralized apps are built. And this is based off of Bitcoin. Ethereum is not based off of Bitcoin. It's its own thing. Mm. But Bitcoin was the first. And Ethereum was inspired by Bitcoin, but Ethereum wanted to have an open source type code. You know, Bitcoin is focused on being a store of value. Ethereum wanted to be more of an operating system to power the decentralization of different apps and websites and things of that nature. Now I understand. Okay, so the code that makes Bitcoin doesn't necessarily make Ethereum. No. Then the rules in terms of, oh, there's only 21 million, like that doesn't exist. Ethereum is just completely different. Completely different. Now I get it. Okay. Yeah. So just saying Ethereum is Bitcoin is incorrect. Ethereum is cryptocurrency. Ethereum is cryptocurrency. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I heard people describe Bitcoin and cryptocurrency almost like, at least at this point, almost like how Santa Monica was in the early 1900s, right? Mm. It's real estate that you could get on the cheap. And once it gets to a certain point, nobody's ever selling that piece of land again. Mm. Is that the correct way of looking at Bitcoin now? Like, you should consider purchasing it because the value is just going to continue to go up and up and up, or, or at least we think the value may go up? Absolutely. And the reason is because remember, we said Bitcoin is currently worth $1 trillion, right? And gold, the market value of the total gold in supply is roughly about 10 trillion, right? To me, I think Bitcoin is at least two times better than gold. Okay. In terms of performance or just? Yes, performance, its attributes. So for example, let's say a person wanted to move $1 billion worth of gold 
from US to London, how much is it going to cost the person to do that? <laughs> transaction fees, yeah. Not even transaction fees. Remember, gold is so heavy. How are you moving a oh, billion dollars worth of gold from one place to the other? Even the cost of moving it, like are you flying it in a plane? There's just so much cost. To move a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin costs, I think, about $20. And the transaction settles in less than one hour. So then Bitcoin is just completely much better than gold. But let's assume it's two times better than gold to be very conservative. Well, if gold is worth 10 trillion and if Bitcoin is two times better than gold, that means Bitcoin has an opportunity to be a $20 trillion asset just by that simple analysis of it being two times better than gold. What that means is whatever the Bitcoin price is right now, okay, if it was 10 times better than gold, we should have 10 times its worth. So 50K means that it should be worth 500,000 just to match what gold is doing. That's where you get that number from. I remember weeks ago. Exactly. But I'm saying it's two times better. So two times better is 20 trillion, which is a million dollars per Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, real quick, we got to give our disclaimer. Everyone who's listening, this is for yeah. edutainment purposes. Please mm -hmm. do not take our advice in terms of purchasing this information. Don't come for us in these streets. Make sure you talk with your financial advisor. Make sure you talk with a tax consultant before you make any decisions with your finances in this episode, please. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I believe in individuals doing their due diligence. You know, I started researching and learning about Bitcoin in 2017. Prior to that, I was writing it off. That's what I want to talk to you about. Because, I mean, prior to this, it was going up and down, up and down in value. First of all, what drives that? Two, should this be something that you should be thinking in your mind? Okay, if I put money into this, like it's going to turn to zero possibly the next day. Or I should be cool with it possibly turning to zero the next day. And three, why is it driving up in price right now? Is it a fad? Is it because everybody's jumping into it? I know that was a loaded question. Sorry about that. But. No, it's not a loaded question. Okay, Bitcoin is more likely to hit 1 million than it is to go to zero. <laughs> Let me just start with that, okay? Mm. Okay. And the reason is because Bitcoin is a $1 trillion asset. Most people don't think about it this way, but guess what? Amazon is a trillion dollar company, okay? Apple is $2 trillion. If I were to tell you, can Apple just go to $0 the next day and fire all of the employees, close down all of their shops and stores, you'd be like, mm, that's very unlikely. I want you to view Bitcoin exactly the same. It's extremely unlikely. So if I were to ask you, is Apple as a company, is it more likely to become a $10 trillion company or $0? Your response would be $10 trillion. Yeah. Exactly. And also with like Doge and GameStop and all of these things, individuals think that this asset is just some random assets that can just go to zero. There's money behind it, okay? So Bitcoin, first and foremost, it requires electricity, so energy to mine the coins. So that cost of electricity is in the value of the creation of that Bitcoin. Most people don't realize that. Also, individuals need to exchange real money, real dollars to buy <laughs> Bitcoin. That also forces the value 
or reinforces the value of Bitcoin, right? If someone goes to purchase one Bitcoin today, they need to exchange $55,000 worth of their work, <laughs> sweat, <laughs> physical labor, or mental labor to get that one coin, <laughs> right? So that's how Bitcoin is maintaining its value, first and foremost, but it's extremely volatile. And the reason it's volatile is because of many things, but let me focus on two things. One is the halving cycle, meaning the number of times that Bitcoin reduces the amount of new coins in circulation. And the second is human greed. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't make that number one because human greed always messes things up. For... I know. So what do I mean by the halving cycle? Bitcoin undergoes a supply shock. What that means is that the quantity of new coins being created reduces by half. Okay. So when that happens, I want you to think about this. You have crypto assets, Bitcoin, that is becoming more scarce, meaning that if this is supply of the coin in circulation, it's reduced. At the same time, more people are getting to know about it. Right. So then you have the supply of the coin reducing, but the demand, people wanting it is increasing. What does that do? It forces the price to go up. So as the price goes up, more people want to buy. So more people are buying as the price is going up. So that happens till you get to a certain point where the people who had been purchasing before all of the new people that are coming in now, they want to sell some of their, <laughs> their coins to take the profits. And when they begin to sell, the price drops, let's say by 25, 30%. And then the new people who just came in are like, oh my gosh, it dropped 25%. I'm also going to sell. Then you have that huge drop. Mm, okay, now that explains it. Because I'm like, if this is not centralized, right? There's no like reports that come out like, oh, well, Bitcoin didn't meet this expectation. Mm -hmm. And then that will drive like, you know, those type of expectations for a company would drive a stock down. I'm glad you cleared that up. I was trying to figure out how does Bitcoin drop? And then yeah. when people are buying Bitcoin, the value is going up. If more people are buying than selling, the value is going to go up. It's just simple economics. When more people are selling than buying, the value is going to go down because people are getting rid of it. They are selling it at any price. So then there's what an increased supply of Bitcoin that people want to let go. So the price is going to drop. But what do you see happening right now? Let's say in 2021, you have Tesla coming in to buy, you That's know, That's what Bitcoin. I want to ask you. That's, yep, you're getting into what I want to ask you. Tesla and these- You have yeah. PayPal coming in, saying they are going to transact in Bitcoin. You have Square coming in to buy Bitcoin. You have this company called MicroStrategy that took 100% of its cash, okay? And Dr. Nee, you're going to freak out about what I'm about to say next. So MicroStrategy- Is this just like the mortgage? <laughs> yep, 100%. So MicroStrategy- they had about $400 million in cash. They took that and put it all in Bitcoin. And then they went out and borrowed a billion dollars, okay? And then bought Bitcoin. And then they sold their shares, new shares of the company and bought Bitcoin. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. I'm very, very, very serious. I don't yeah. know if you remember, like about <laughs> earlier this year or late, late last year, do you follow the sports at all? There was a Brooklyn Nets basketball player mm. who negotiated 
half yeah, of his salary. contract to be paid in Bitcoin. And everybody's like, are you crazy? Even I was like, you're crazy. And now, like, how he's much highest, Bitcoin was back then the to highest, now? Yeah, he's like one of the highest paid players now because of that, right? But why would you? Okay, so the question is, is Bitcoin changes value on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. What will they use to pay for things, right? Because if they're going to spend a Bitcoin to buy X, Y, and Z. Well, it's money they are not spending. So their business okay. is a cash generating business. So next year, they are going to have more cash on their balance sheets than this year with the way that that business works. Understood. So they need to find some place to store money. And the CEO of the business, his name is Michael Saylor. He spent almost a year or two years down what he calls the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And he found that at night he couldn't sleep because his money being kept in cash. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is printing a ton of money. Also, he said he's scared that smart people will realize that the only best asset in existence today is Bitcoin. He was scared that people would find that out so he couldn't sleep at night. So he wanted to purchase as much Bitcoin as possible. And guess what? When he was making these purchases, he got in at an average price of $9,000, even with the borrowed money. <laughs> Yo, they're never letting him go. <laughs> I know his shareholders are so happy right now. Yeah, absolutely. What is that, like 300%, 400%? What is that, 1,000%? I mean, that is 5x the return in a period of, let's say, a year and a half. So wait, so what's Dr. Hans's strategy with Bitcoin? How are you handling this? So I started with a Bitcoin allocation of 5 to 10%, give and okay. take. I just wanted to have about 5 to 10% of my assets in this space. As it stands, like the growth of Bitcoin has moved me from 5 to 10 to now 25 to 30% of my assets. And it's not that I even did anything. It's just the growth in the asset class does that. It's fascinating because... You know, a year and a half ago, the, what you tended to hear was put 1% of your assets into Bitcoin or crypto, right. even if you don't believe in it. Right. Well, what that's going to do is over the past year and a half, Bitcoin has grown by about 10x, so 1,000%. So if you had just 1% of your assets, today it will be 10%. And you didn't even have to do anything. Mm, I see. Right? I see. That's the thing. So for someone who's listening right now, and if they were saying, oh, and also like Dr. Nee said, this is not advice. If for someone who's listening right now, I would say a 5 to 10% allocation would be the smart way to go with the understanding that this is a volatile asset and there's no guarantees, right? But hey, I would much rather have 5 to 10% exposure with the understanding that over the next 5 to 10 years, it could probably grow and be worth about 50% of your portfolio just by the growth potential. And Doc, many people might not know this, but Bitcoin has been growing on average 200% every year since its creation. Yeah. So even if that reduces by half, it reduces to 100%. <laughs> by comparison, the S&P 500, what averages 10%. So have you talked to your wife about... <laughs> about Taking Bitcoin? out a second mortgage? And <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> putting this money in Bitcoin. If Bitcoin drops to 25,000, I'll probably go 
refinance the house and pull the equity that we have and buy it. <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> but at 50K, I wouldn't be mortgaging a house or borrowing money. And in all honesty, I don't borrow money to buy Bitcoin. I believe it's an asset that an individual should own flat out. And the reason for this is because it's what I like to term asymmetric risk, right? It's a little bit more on the aggressive side when it comes to an investment, but also the return upside potential is huge, right? So then I wouldn't borrow money to get into this type of asset class, but hey, if it dropped to 25,000 or 20,000, yeah, I'll definitely go borrow money. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of where to purchase this, some people Mm. are listening. We're talking like you can use the Cash App, you can use Robinhood, Coinbase. What are some other places that people can get it? Or are those the three main? Yeah, I'll say those are the three main, mainly Coinbase, Robinhood, also Cash App. But there's also SoFi Invest allows individuals to be able to get exposure to cryptocurrency. There's also Gemini, right, which is also like a crypto exchange or a crypto brokerage firm, if you will. But I just believe, honestly, that especially immigrants, minorities, underrepresented groups, they need some exposure, in my opinion, to this asset, right? I like to think about it as taking on an asymmetric risk. So what do I mean by this? What you're doing is that you're allocating money to this space that isn't going to bankrupt you, right? But then if the upside of that is tangible, you have an unlimited or an exponential growth opportunity, right? Like, for example, let's say an individual is earning $100,000 a year in terms of income, right? Allocating $5,000 or $10,000 of that income, right, to an asset It's not going to necessarily bankrupt an individual, but the upside potential is huge. I see. Right. That makes sense. Because let's say the thesis around the potential for Bitcoin to be a $10 trillion asset like gold, meaning it's a 10x growth from here, or potentially double the value of gold, which is 20x. That means that that $10,000 has the potential to be worth $100,000 or $200,000, which is huge and is life-changing type of money. Wow. There it is, Dr. Hans, man. This was really, really great. I really appreciate you kind of breaking down just the concept of Bitcoin for a lot of people because I think what's going out there right now is, look, invest in your ETFs, invest in your index funds, use just a small percentage, obviously, in Bitcoin for obvious reasons, right? It's volatile. We don't know much about it. A lot of people don't, but it's just thing that just keeps going up. So I'm glad that you were able to kind of just demystify it for us and help us understand it. So listen, once again, for the people who want to get in contact with you, people who want to follow you, listen to your podcast, let them know how they can follow you. Yeah. So for everyone listening, I'm Dr. Hans, the investing tutor. Essentially, what I do is I help professionals with careers build wealth by teaching them how to invest, right? So today we've been speaking about crypto assets and why it's important for individuals to know about this asset class and in my opinion, have some exposure to it, right? Whether it's just a percent, 5%, 10%, you decide with your financial advisor what allocation would be the best for you. 
but it's a no-brainer asset, in my opinion. Like I was sharing with individuals in underrepresented groups, we have to understand that just following the status quo kind of advice, you know, save, pay off debt, is not how wealth is built. And also, if we are investing, we cannot just stick with bonds and a mutual fund. We have to be strategic with how we're investing, right? We might need exposure to some ETFs. That gives us exposure to disruptive innovation or disruptive technology that is growing at a faster pace than the market so that we're not settling for 10% average returns, but maybe we can be getting 13% or 15%. It makes a huge difference. And on top of that, let's say a person layers on some exposure to individual stocks, but also crypto. All of a sudden, an individual is averaging returns way above that 10 to 13. Maybe now they are closer to 15 or 20 just by that asset allocation. And if an individual is growing an investment account at a 20% rate of return, that is life-changing. Because on average, that individual is, let me actually do the math because I don't want to quote a wrong doubling rate. But if a person is compounding their money at a 20% rate of return, they are doubling their money every 3.5 years. Okay, so 10,000 becomes 20,000, 20,000 becomes 40,000, 40,000 becomes 80,000 on average every 3.5 years. By comparison, the S&P 500 does that for you every 7.2 years, give and take. Especially underrepresented individuals, you have to understand that, sure, follow the save, all of that, but invest strategically as well. And for individuals who want to connect with me, you can find me on social media, Instagram, specifically at The Investing Tutor. You can also go to my website, TheInvestingTutor.com. And lastly, you can even connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me at Hans Boateng. Dr. Nee, this was super exciting. Thank you for being open-minded to have this discussion. Most people view cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, as this fraudulent type asset. And what they fail to understand is that the internet has changed the world as we know it. And up until the creation of Bitcoin, there has never been a global decentralized monetary network that allows two individuals from any part of the world to transact with each other, right? The thought that five years from now, when Bitcoin is more known, that some little boy or girl in a village in Ghana can be able to sell something to me and I can transact with that individual in a matter of minutes is going to be life-changing for many of the, in quote, poorer cities or poorer communities spread throughout the globe. So I'm super excited for this transformation, and I'm investing heavily in this change. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to know what that number means heavily. That's awesome, man. Dr. Hans, this was great. Thank you very much. I hope you come on again because there's actually more that we need to talk about for the residents and the young attendings who really want to understand how to solidify all of their asset classes. So I hope you come on again. 
And everyone, this was dope, man. We got a masterclass on crypto. Make sure you obviously do as much research as possible. Make sure you talk to your financial advisor as much as possible. But this was a great discussion on crypto. And I hope you guys all take some type of action, whether it's educating yourself more about this or reaching out to Dr. Hans to find out more information or even to me. Absolutely. We'll keep it at that. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Dr. Hans, thank you. All right. Thank you for rolling all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you guys got a lot from this. Now, listen, here are my takeaways from this episode. All right. Number one is, listen, before you make any decisions on what you heard on this show, please make sure you talk to a professional financial advisor. Listen, this is just for entertainment purposes. I don't want you trying to see me in these streets. I don't have time for that. Number two, Bitcoin is real and it's here to stay. Obviously, past performance is not indicative of what future performance is, but I think this should definitely get your attention. Number three, whatever you decide to do, do it with a plan. <laughs>